Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently in week eight of our Apostles' Creed series. This week, Pastor Kenny unpacked the help, the mission, and the hope associated with Jesus' ascension to heaven. Well, like I said, we're in week eight, and we're taking it very slow. It's going to take us 17 weeks in all, and we're just trying to unpack each of the pieces. Um, If you want to go back and listen, they're online, Remembrance Community org forward slash sermons, I think, or something like that. And uh, you can listen to all of the previous ones. If, you're, if you have any questions about any of those statements on there, you can kind of find our take on them, uh, at least the ones we've done so far. And then today, we're going to deal with the part where it says, He ascended into heaven. So last week was Easter. We, we studied and, and celebrated that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, And then the Bible records, as you'll see in our passage today, which will be in Acts chapter 1, that he made many proofs. I mean, he showed himself visibly, bodily and visibly to many people, 500, up to 500 at one point. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. And he didn't just have a a quick like meeting with the people over 40 days. That's a long time that they just kept seeing Jesus every day for 40 days. He ate with them, lots of interaction with him. And then, uh, as we'll see today, he ascended to heaven. And what we're going to look at in this passage, in Acts chapter 1, uh, it's written by uh, Luke, who many think might have been a doctor, he, but we know for sure he was a missionary, and he traveled around with Paul and a lot of the other uh, missionaries and disciples and apostles, and he wrote the, the gospel according to Luke, right? He's one of the four gospels, and then he wrote a follow-up book. It's 28 chapters, and it's kind of everything that happened, the initiation of the church, and kind of how the church got started and started to spread in its early days. So the book of Acts is a, fan, a fantastic history book and, and scriptural piece. Um, and so we're going to read Acts 1, 1 through 11, and then we'll unpack it together. He says in Acts 1, 1 through 11, Luke writing says, In the first book, O Theophilus, that's the gospel according to Luke he's talking about. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's amazing, right? 
I mean, we don't, we don't always unpack this. We kind of just live our lives. We're busy. We go through the motions. But our God came down from heaven to earth, became a man, lived a 30-year life before he began a two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-year public ministry, was publicly crucified, stated that it was for the sins of all who would believe, was the atoning sacrifice, rose again from the dead, the tomb was empty, showed himself for 40 days with, with lots of proof, and then gave some final instruction, and then he ascended to heaven. It's a pretty big deal, right? Can you imagine being the disciples? Jesus dies, you're like freaking out. He rises from the dead, you're really freaking out. You hang out with him for 40 days, you're starting to get comfortable again. He gives you some instructions, he goes to heaven, right? He ascends to heaven. That would be a pretty gnarly uh, month, right? And so what we see in this passage is that Jesus rose from the dead. He showed many proofs. He spent 40 days with the believers and he promised that the Holy Spirit would come. Now, he's doing this to his Jewish disciples. They were raised Jewish. They had a kind of a Jewish mindset, of, especially about the kingdom of God. Of course, for three and a half years, Jesus kind of flipped that view upside down. But they still were not totally understanding all that was going to happen. Anyone here understand totally what is going to happen? Right? So we can't really blame them, right? And so they're Jewish though, and they're kind of understanding as Jewish pupils that had grown up in the synagogue and learned all about God through the instructors, instructors and all of these things, read their parents had, had, had taught them, and they associated the coming of the Holy Spirit with the restoral of the kingdom of Israel. So when, they, when Jesus is like, the Holy Spirit is coming, what do they think? They're thinking, okay, so the kingdom of Israel is going to be restored. And that's what you see in the passage. They ask Jesus, so you just said the Holy Spirit is coming. Does that mean that the restoral of the kingdom is coming too? And Jesus kind of does his Jesus thing, and he redirects them. And in a way, he doesn't say no. He says, it's not for you to know exactly what's going to happen and then what he does do is he resets the whole context about the kingdom of God that they're going to live in. And it's important for us, it's relevant for us, because it's the same context that we live in. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. The context that is relevant to us that was established because of the ascension of Jesus, or that's surrounded with the study of the ascension of Jesus. So if you have your notes... You'll notice the first thing in there is our current kingdom context. Our current kingdom of God context is like this. This is how many theologians unpack it. That we live between already and not yet. We live in this period of time between an already and a not yet. And what that means is that at this time, when before Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus has already come to earth. He's proclaiming and declaring the kingdom of God. He's teaching parables and all kinds of instruction about the kingdom of God. That has already happened. He died on the cross as the atoning sacrifice that anyone who would believe their sins would be imputed to him on the cross, dealt with, paid for once for all. And then he rose from the dead. And in doing that, like we looked at last week, he, he purchased and, and victoriously made the way that we could be given new life too. 
that has already happened. That's the already. And then as we see in this passage, these two angels show up. They're looking up into heaven with their jaws dropped, right? They just have seen a lot. And the, the, the angels say what? Hey, men of Galilee, simple, ordinary men, fishermen, right? Men of Galilee, why are you looking up into heaven, right? Like, that's what you would be doing too, right? But why are you looking up into heaven? This Jesus, the same Jesus who you just saw ascend into heaven, he will return. He's going to come back. When he comes back, he's going to establish a new kingdom. He's going to make all things new, a new heaven and a new earth. In Revelation 21.5, it says he's going to make all things new. That's the not yet. That's the still to come. We live in between the already and the not yet. And Jesus doesn't leave us aimless. Jesus gives us some instruction. Like he goes, don't focus on that. It's not for you to know. But what you do need to know is a few things. You need to know three things specifically. And it's, it's relevant for us too. You need to know that he's going to send you help. You're going to have help in this between phase. This kingdom phase of the, between the, the already and the not yet. You will have help. You have a mission. And you have a great future hope. And all of these things are key for us to live uh, purposeful lives in this current age until He returns. And so I want to unpack those things with you. And so the first thing in your notes is this. When we look at we have help, we have a mission, we have a fantastic future hope. The first, the first one is we have been given help. We've been given help. Any of you guys ever need help? Any of you guys ever not like to ask for help? That's how I hurt my arm. I put together Ikea furniture, this big dresser, and decided I needed to move it across the room. And I decided, you know, I used to be able to do that. Well, I found out. I can't do that anymore, right? I'm in the older green section, just in case you didn't know, right? And so sometimes it's hard to ask for help, but here's the thing. We've been given help, and specifically it says in letter A in your notes this, that you're going to get power from the Holy Spirit. Now, across the denominational lines of Christianity, people have all different ideas of what that means. But just as a base essential doctrine, you can know this, that the Holy Spirit, which is God, part of the Trinity, God himself in the, in the form of the Holy Spirit is going to help us, is going to give us power. Power to do what? Well, he tells us that power to be his witnesses all throughout the earth. So I want to kind of just walk through this a little bit. You will receive a, a, a power from the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that you cannot effectively live a godly life without the Holy Spirit? Amen. Right? You basically, each of you in here are like electronic devices from the 80s and 90s that had the cool little cord on it and if you don't plug it in didn't have the ion batteries or anything like that if you're not plugged in you're collecting dust and that's the essence 
of, of what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to give you power to be his witnesses. And you can not, I mean, you could do stuff, but you can not live the kind of godly life that God calls you without the Holy Spirit. You can't. You have to be plugged in to, the, to God through the Holy Spirit. You need to be abiding in him. And he says, I will do that for you. You go, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that. You don't need to know. He says, I will do that, right? He's going to do that. So we have, we have uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, again, what will the Holy Spirit empower us to do? To be witnesses. And we're going to unpack that in a bit, what that kind of looks like. But for now, you have been given the Holy Spirit. And you've been given power. Any of you guys feel a little better about yourself this morning? That's not the coffee. That Danny made. That's the Holy Spirit and the coffee. Letter B. Also, we have access to prayer. We have access to prayer. We don't want to miss this that Jesus, before he goes, he instructs them to do what? To go to Jerusalem and wait. There's a waiting period, and then the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them. Now, it's been 40 days. Right. Forty days, give or take. Some people say maybe it was a literal, literal 40 days or maybe an estimated 40 days. But here's the big idea. Jesus dies on Passover. Fifty days later is Pentecost. We know that the Holy Spirit actually comes in, in Acts chapter two on Pentecost 50 days later. So if you put the time frame together, it makes a lot of sense. For 40 days, Jesus is with them. At the end of 40 days, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait They would have been going to Jerusalem anyways, because it's Pentecost, right? And so they show up, and they're there for about a week to ten days, right? And then the Holy Spirit comes. So the timeline, it kind of fits together. But here's the thing. When Jesus says, go and wait, if you read on, what they do is they go to Jerusalem, and they get together, and they pray. Somehow, they instinctively know that In this waiting period, what they need to do is they need to pray. They have access to God in prayer. Jesus has taught them that, and they go and pray. They instinctively know that in this tough time, they need to pray. What if we operated like that? What if the church operated like that? Like, you're going through a hard time. Okay, wait and pray. How many of you guys, that's like your normal deal? Mine is panic and do something stupid, right? That's not going to help. But what if I just change that around and go wait and pray? Like you're you're just going through it. Anyone going through it right now? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know who you are. Wait and pray. Any of you guys just amped up like, I want to see God move. I want to, I want more, more, more. Wait and pray. Any of you guys want to raise godly kids? Like, don't wait, but pray, right? You don't have time to wait, I know, but pray. You want to you be effective at work with your neighbors? Wait and pray. Whatever season you're going through, if we just instinctively knew, my go-to is I have access to God, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to pray. And the truth is that when we don't pray, it's never because we don't have access to God, is it? So I think we need to unpack that. They, they, they have the, you have this help. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have access to God in prayer. And then letter C is this. We have a community of 
believers. Now, that is in, it's, it's, just, it, it's ingrained in kind of the kingdom equation of this passage. When Jesus says, go, he's not saying individually go. He's saying, as a community, go and wait and pray. You're supposed to do this together. They do this in community. So in this passage, he's going to give you the Holy Spirit. You're going to wait and pray. And you're going to keep waiting and praying. And you're going to do this how? Together. Right? You're going to do this together. It's built into the context of the kingdom equation. Always together. Now practically speaking, what we like to say here at Remembrance Community Church is that what we can do about this to live this type of godly life is this. We can build relationships before we need them. Any of you guys ever get in a sticking point and you have nobody to turn to? Don't do that. Don't wait until you're desperate. Start building relationships. Be connected with godly people now, even before you need them, right? Men, come to the men's barbecue tomorrow. It's not just about barbecue. It's about building relationships with other men who want to engage in what matters most in this life. You need to be there. Community groups are starting up. Get in a community group. Invest. I know we're all busy, but you're too busy and life is too hard not to. Right? You need to build relationships before you need them. Right? Get in a group. Get connected. It's important. And so, why is this so important? And here's the reason. Comes from a great theologian. His name is LeBron James. And he says, teamwork makes the dream work, right? Teamwork makes the dream work, and God always works through community. God works through communities. That's what we're seeing in this passage. He's interacting with a community of believers. He's saying to the community of believers, stay together, wait. Pray, encourage each other, pray together. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon not just you individually, but you as a, as a group. And God's going to use you to change the world, he's saying. You're going to sp- this thing is going to spread from the city you're at to the outside community to all the way across the world. And 2,000 years later, can we testify that, that, that God kept his promise? And this is how God works. He works in the midst of community. So we have a great, we have all the help we need. We just need to be engaged with it. The Holy Spirit, prayer, each other. The second thing that we see in here is we have help. And the second thing is that we have been given a mission. We've been given a mission. What specifically is the mission Jesus uh, uh, says in Acts chapter 1? To be my witnesses, right? He's going to help us. Be his witnesses across the whole world, is what he says in the bigger picture, right? So we're going to be his witnesses. Now, how do we practically do that? What does it look like to be his witnesses? You might say, like, I wasn't actually there. I didn't didn't touch his his body. What What does it mean to be a witness? If you're a believer, you're a witness. If you're a believer, you're a witness. What does that look like, or how do we practically do that. And letter A in your notes is, if you're going to be a witness, you need to know the truth. You need to know the truth. Hashtag, that's why we're doing this series, right? 
We're looking through key biblical passages that kind of form the foundation of what we believe as Christians. We need to know the truth. If, you don't, if, if you're kind of struggling with this, as you're leaving, grab a one-year Bible. And you pay for it, because you don't want to steal from the church. But grab a one How much are they? 14, 10 bucks? 10 bucks! And if you read every single day, it tells you. All you need to know is the date. How many of you guys can figure out what the date is? Right? Like you go like literally like, what's the day? April 8th? Go April 8th. So I got to know the date. You can ask somebody, right, if you don't. And then you just turn to April 8th. It gives you a little Old Testament, a little New Testament, little Psalms, a little Proverbs. If you read every day for one year, you read the whole Bible. Isn't that powerful? You read through it just in little chunks, right? You can go into rooted class. Are we doing the rooted class again? In September, get involved with the rooted class. Get in a community group this semester. Go to Fritz's group about uh, world religions, right? Get in the Botman's Bible study. There is a lot of people who would love to help you. Get on She Reads Truth or He Reads Truth. A lot of people love that. It's an app. He Reads Truth, She Reads Truth. There's a lot of easy and, and, and ways to kind of walk you through getting into the Word, but you need to know the truth. And before all of that, you can start today. And let me tell you how. You can start doing what you know. The reality is that most of us, our issue isn't that we don't know enough. Our issue is we need to get motivated and do what we already know. Amen? Any of you guys know you should be doing some things and you, you know, you're just not even doing that? You really don't need to advance to 201, do you? Right? We just need to start doing what we know. And so the second thing in your notes is this, that, that we need to know the truth, but we also need to obey the truth if we're going to be good witnesses. We need to obey the truth. Now, here's, a, here's a, a, a hard fact, a mature fact. And I get this a lot when I'm counseling people. Just because all of the ducks are lining up in your life to go down a certain path, just because things are seeming to be working out, doesn't mean that that's what God is leading you to do. We need to be checking with the scriptures, right? Is this in line with what the Bible teaches, right? Not is it the easy path. Or is it the most natural path? Or are, or, or, or are all the doors opening? Is the Bible behind it? Also, you need to be in community with other wise and, and godly people, counselors, friends. that can you, can you can bounce stuff off of. Like, you, what do you think about this? And they can encourage you to obey the truth. Obeying the truth, you have more help in community than we actually use a lot of times, right? We don't take advantage of it is really our bigger issue. So obeying the truth isn't an individual task. It's a community task. You need to place yourself in the community in order to do this. Trust in the Holy Spirit. There's just so much. It's all tied together as we're seeing. But the whole big picture is that we want to passionately point people to Jesus, right? It's like it says on our vision statement. Our task is we want to, we want to be witnesses. We want people to see how great God is. When they look at our lives, how we live our lives, in obedience to God, they're supposed to be asking about our lives, and we're supposed to be ready to share that with them, right? So we need to be passionately pointing people to Jesus. To be witnesses, we need to know know the truth, we need to obey the truth, and then we need to be ready to share the truth. And this this is a challenging part. Like We need to share the truth. 
The Apostle Peter wrote a couple books in the New Testament, and he gave some great advice about this. And his advice was this. When you share the truth, use, use gentleness and respect. I just feel like in the age of social media-ism, is that a word? Probably not. But we're going to use it. Social media, I can't even say it again, right? We won't use it. But in this world we live in, where social media is a big deal, we need to learn that. Gentleness and respect. Not say whatever you want, whatever's on your mind, behind the keyboard, right? But gentleness and respect. And, and all, we need to be able to speak and do it with gentleness and respect. Not your political rants. He's not saying, to be a good witness, you need to tell everybody what you think about you know, the highways and, and all of these political things. I mean, that's not what he's talking about. And it's not your pet peeves. Any of you have Christian pet peeves? I hate it when Christians do this, right? Like, they probably hate some things you do, too. You know? Like, but your pet peeves, that's not what he's talking about. But you've got to be willing to share the truth. And what this looks like in the beautiful picture that God paints for us is this. That we would be in community. That we would build meaningful relationships with each other. And within the circle of friendship and love and respect from the inside of that, we would have a voice to speak into each other's life. And it is a two-way street. You need to be willing to say what needs to be said in love and gentleness and respect. And you also need to be willing to put yourself in that place where people can speak into your life. In this age that we live in, we live in an age where we say, don't judge me. That's like the biggest sin. Don't judge me. We need to put ourselves in the position where we have some people who will judge us. We need to put ourselves in relationships with people who will love us enough to say, hey, I want to help you. I love you too much to not say anything. What's kind of up with that? You know? Like, I'm not judging you in a, in a negative crino is the Greek word, but in a loving crino is the word for judgment, right? We need people to crino us from the inside. So we need to be willing to share the truth if we're going to be uh, witnesses. To people who don't know Jesus, we want to just share our story. We need to say, you know what? My life was a train wreck before I met Jesus, and now my life is a train wreck but Jesus is on the train, right? That's what we need to be willing to say. Now, number three in our notes, number three in our notes, and this is a beautiful thing. It says this, we have been given a future hope. In this passage, we see these angels come. God sends angels, right? Isn't that just how awesome God is? Like they're freaking out. Remember, jaw drop. They've just been through a lot. They've been through a month. You guys might have been through. A, how many of you guys had a bad month? Don't raise your hand. You know who you are. These guys have been through probably more than I've been through. They're like, a oh, bicep tendon tear. Ha, ha, ha. My Jesus died on the cross right in front of my eyes. Or he would have, but I bailed because I'm a big chicken, right? Whatever. They went through it. They were freaking out. And it's just like God to send a couple angels, Right? And the angels are like, little rhetorical question, like, why are you looking into heaven? Like, we don't know what to do. Let me tell you what to do. Right? God sends a couple angels and he says, guess what? 
Jesus just gave you some instruction of what to do now, but know this. This is a season, and he's coming back. And he's coming back. And so we want to kind of unpack this. We have been given a future hope. When I do funerals, I've only done a few. When I do funerals, um, there's a verse in the book of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. It just is so profound to me. And Paul is writing it to them, and they're worried about kind of what happens after, after you die. And Paul unpacks for them, and he makes this comment. He goes, he goes, we who are believers, we do not mourn like those who have no hope. We mourn. We mourn. If you don't mourn, that's unhealthy. It's not instructing you not to mourn. If you, if you need to mourn, you need to mourn. We, want to, we don't always do that well. So it says you can mourn, but we don't mourn like those who don't have hope. Right? And I think you could say that about everything in your life. Right? I mean, we work hard. We set goals. Even in business. We, set, we do things on this earth. We try hard. We work hard. But we don't work hard like those who don't have hope. Right? We work out. We take care of our bodies. Some of us better than others. Right? <laughs> We take care of our neighbors. We take care of the earth. We steward the earth. But we don't do any of that like people who don't have hope. We don't do anything like people. We, do people. we should do things different, right? We aren't like all YOLO, you only live once, right? We're like, man, no. He's coming back. We're going to live forever. And this time in between that everyone else calls YOLO is not the end. It's a, it's a time of stewardship and waiting, and praying. And that's what it looks like to live in the tension with hope. We have a great hope. Peter actually exhorts them, like we were talking about. He goes, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. He's assuming people are going to be like, wow, you do things with hope. You don't mourn like people who don't have hope. You don't live. You don't do business. You don't do anything like people who don't have hope. I want to know about that hope. And he goes, and so be ready to do that and do that with gentleness and respect. That's the whole package of the verse. That's what it looks like to be witnesses. We have to have hope, live in hope. People ask, we share with gentleness and respect. So we have this Great hope. And specifically, we have a hope that Jesus will return. Amen? Amen. It says, this is what they say. They say, this Jesus who you just saw ascend to heaven will again return in the same way that you saw. That means at least he's going to return in glory. That's what the big cloud was about. That's a cloud, it's a Shekinah glory. He's going to return with Shekinah glory. He's going to return bodily. It's not going to be like, ooh, this power. If you're like, ooh, there's a rainbow. That must be God coming back. No, he's going to have a body. He's going to return bodily and visibly. You're not going to be like, oh, I just feel like Jesus might be back. No, you're going to see it visibly. He's going to return. Isn't that amazing? Like one day, you're just going to be chilling. Starbucks, or if you're like under 35, you don't do Starbucks, right? You're going to do pour-overs at Papa Bear or whatever, that place in Redondo, right? You're going to be chilling 
on the freeway, the 405, and one day he's going to return in glory, bodily, and visibly. That is true. It's hard to wrap your head around. I get that. But that is a reality and a hope that we have. I don't care how bad your day is. Paul says at one point, he says, I consider, he's in prison, he's been beaten. He goes, I consider that these present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when Jesus rips open the skies, bodily and visibly returns. It will happen. And that's a great hope. When? He just told us. We don't know. But we know what to do in the meantime. And we are waiting with this anticipation Not waiting like you're on a bus with nothing to do, but you're waiting. And not like a millennial multitasking and with your apps. I don't know where that that was just ad lib, right? But we're waiting with purpose. I know. It's my arm. Blame it on my arm. And we'll have the worship team come back up as we try to wrap this up. Letter B. He will make all things new. We already looked at that. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. When Jesus returns, He will make all things new. For now, He's already begun the process. He makes us new. He makes us new creations. And then every day, He's making a little more new, right? You're becoming more and more new, especially when you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, you're taking less steps backwards. The whole, you're following the Holy Spirit. He's taking you forward. And you're in community like we're doing. I'm proud of you for being here. Come again tomorrow, guys. Monday. Keep coming, right? That's a great context to be in. And what the Holy Spirit is doing in this whole context and process is He's changing you, making you more like Jesus. And we often say this, everybody's in process. But here's the thing that I don't say enough. The process is becoming more like Jesus. You're in a process leading to maturity, which looks like becoming more like Jesus. And he will make all things new. One day there'll be no more tears. There'll be no more like, tomorrow's Monday, I got so much on my desk. That'll be over. Right? I don't know how I'm going to pay for my kids' braces. Done. Right? (laughs) My car's getting so old, I need a new one. My washing machine. Whatever it is, you know, like your issues, done ski. For eternity ski. When Jesus returns, he'll make all things new. We have a great hope. Also, when he comes back, he will take us to be with him. John 14, read it, reread it. It's the greatest promise. He goes, I will come back. Jesus is like, hey, you guys are freaking out because I'm about to leave. Don't worry. When I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, right? He's reaffirming this before he ascends. But even earlier, he's already been unpacking this for them. When I leave, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. He's already told them, right? This isn't a last minute, like rash thing. Like, I don't know what to say before I leave, right? No, he's been unpacking this for a while. Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, then I will come back in my father's house. There are many rooms. He's making room for us. He's there preparing a place for us. And he says, when I come back, I will take you, all who believe, to be with me forever. We'll no longer be in between already and not yet. We'll be in eternity forever. And this is a great hope. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. 
You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.